Hey everyone, welcome to the Year Was, the podcast all about today that gives you just enough information to effectively be that guy at the party, causing all your friends to question, hey, who invited you? Like, seriously, why are you here? I'm your host, Michael Montalvo, and for the next few minutes, we will swim through the river of time to try and find out what makes today truly unique. In this episode, we examine the events that occurred July 28th. Do you individuals remember when I talked about the film King Kong? You know the one. It had the giant ape climbing the Empire State Building and then had to fight off planes in order to protect, kidnap, the love of his life, Faye Ray. How about the movie James and the Giant Peach? In that movie, spoiler alert, the peach lands on the Empire State Building and they had to use a crane in order to get James and the titular peach down, where he is eventually reunited with his new family and finds love. Or how about the Empire State Building from the movie Sleepless in Seattle, when Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks finally meet by the telescopes? Or the Mindy Project, where Danny and Mindy, I guess, fall in love at the Empire State Building? I don't know, I didn't actually ever watch it. Or how about an affair to remember, where Cary Grant and Deborah Kerr fall in love and agree to meet in six months at the Empire State Building? And that one time in Superman 2, when Superman punches Non into the Empire State Building and causes the top of the tower to fall and Superman has to swoop in and catch it before it crushes a woman and her child. Showing that he cares. He actually cares for those Earth people. Like pets. Anyway, my point is that a lot of stuff happens at the Empire State Building. It just mostly happens in movies and TV. And usually involves love. Real life is sadly not always the same. The year was 1945, and on this day, July 28th, a B-25 Mitchell bomber crashed into the Empire State Building in New York City. At the tail end of World War II, VE Day had already happened, but war was still raging on in the Pacific, a lone bomber made a wrong turn due to fog. The plane had left New Bedford, Massachusetts, and was on its way to LaGuardia Airport in New York. It was fairly early on a Saturday, that part will be important later, and fog made visibility extremely low, so upon entering New York, pilot William F. Smith Jr. radioed LaGuardia Tower and informed them of his position. Then he asked about the nearby weather in Newark. LaGuardia told the pilot to call the local weather station, which he did, and was then told the weather had a 600-foot ceiling which apparently means that the fog and clouds were at a minimum height of 600 feet. They recommended that the bomber land at LaGuardia, where conditions were still bad, but slightly more favorable. In most of the versions I read, LaGuardia believed that the bomber had every intention to land and gave it the space and the information needed to do so, as well as the go-ahead. Smith, however, called in and said, He wanted to go to Newark. The Army was contacted and was informed of the situation and advised Smith of the slightly better visibility options than he was led to believe. They then left it to him to decide what to do and where to land. Once again, Smith said, Newark is where I want to be, and upon hearing his decision, LaGuardia gave him the okay and told him they could not see the top of the Empire State Building. 
If you don't have three miles of visibility, come back, they told him. Sure. But this was a seasoned vet of a pilot, and no amount of weather would stop him. And so Smith ignored this recommendation and made his way to Newark. Following this new flight path took him over Manhattan, through the city, and into the danger zone. The path they had planned to take, and the one they believed they were on, was sort of a sideways S. And that's actually the path they took, it was just a bit lower than they thought. It was flying through Manhattan that they soon realized that buildings were around them, but with the zero visibility, they did not see the Chrysler building until it was too late. They swerved to avoid it, but in doing so, put them in an upward trajectory that caused them to almost immediately hit the north side of the Empire State Building at over 200 miles per hour. The plane hit the 79th floor and fuel exploded. Fire quickly spread over 11 floors while one of the bomber's engines flew clear through the building out the south side and onto a rooftop a block away. Another engine went down the elevator shaft, causing the building's elevators to drop almost 80 floors before stopping in the basement. Two surprising results. Elevator operator Belly Lou Oliver survived the fall with only a broken pelvis, broken back, and broken neck from the drop. Steel beams buckled but did not break, and the building remained intact and standing despite the fire. Inside the building, survivors hid where they could to avoid the smoke and flames that the bomber had brought with it. One man, Paul Deering, jumped from the building, while others threw possessions out the windows and holes that the bomber caused, leaving possessions that they wanted the world to have. Onlookers gathered in the street and the mayor arrived to survey the damage that had been inflicted onto the building. Fire trucks and police arrived and fought fires that lasted almost an hour before they could be controlled, leaving behind an 18 by 20 foot hole 935 feet above the street. The saving grace of the whole ordeal was that since it was a Saturday, fewer people were at work and a loss of life was limited, although not completely avoided. In total, about 14 people were killed. The three aboard the plane and 11 in the building, on the street, or in the path of the debris. In a morbid bit of trivia, this brought people from all over to the site, hoping to get a look at the building's damage and maybe take home a bit of debris. The next day, the mayor offered condolences to those lost and the stories in the paper began to run. The government would eventually try and settle with the families of those affected by offering money, but not all would accept and instead chose to sue. This action actually brought forth the Federal Tort Claims Act of 1946, which gives Americans the right to sue the federal government, something that historically was just not done. The craziest bit about this story to me, though, is that on Monday, two days after the building was hit, the Empire State Building reopened for work as usual. That's going to do it for us today. If you like this podcast and want to hear more, give us a rate and a review. That helps me out and helps steer this in a direction that is hopefully good for all. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can find the Year Was audio version on your podcast app of choice. You can find me on social media and at YouTube at the Apple Cider Club. And as always, I want to thank the Tim Kreitz Band for our musical theme. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. 